It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Oh, we can do better than that. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you, God. Because I'm not playing. It really is good to be here. And there are so many needs, so many cries for help. So many hearts that are broken. So many lives that are trying to find direction. And you know what? They're all right here. So it is good to be in the house of the Lord. This morning I had you look at a text that several of you have said, I'll never look at that text the same way. It's just one verse. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, and it said, God saved us and he called us to live holy lives and he didn't save us because we deserved it. He saved us because it was his plan from before the beginning of time so that we could see his grace through Jesus Christ. So here's what I need you to know. I need you to know that you can be saved by Jesus Christ. God's plan was before the beginning of time. And that was for you within the sound of my voice. But not only can he save you, he has called you to live a holy life. And that doesn't mean holier than thou. That means living in a life with a relationship with Jesus. The good, the bad, the ugly, the sad the sorrowful, the joyful, the happy. It's called life. And he calls us to live it in relationship with him. Not because we deserved it. So nobody who walked in the doors deserves it. But he did it because it was his plan. And he wants to show you what his grace looks like. And so for the rest of our time together tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Oh, it's just Tuesday, isn't it? But anyway, Monday and Tuesday night, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you because sometimes we just need to see it. I know you've heard it said, seeing is not believing. But for most of us, the truth of it is it is. And it says that he shows us his grace. He shows us his unconditional love. So we're going to look at the gospel according to St. Luke. At how God's love can be seen. We're going to think about three different types of ways to see God's grace. And one is through the eyes of a Pharisee. You're kidding me, right, Mr. Lord? You know what I would say to you? Jesus doesn't pick on Pharisees because they're scoundrels. Jesus picks on Pharisees because they ought to represent the best. Somebody say amen. Let me say it again in case you weren't really clear. Jesus doesn't pick on Pharisees because they're scoundrels. He picks on them because they should represent the very best. I believe the Bible says that judgment begins with the righteous. And so Jesus is trying to point to the best. And they've fallen short. 
And so we think about Pharisees and we think about disciples and Jesus didn't pick the worst because that's all he had to choose from. He picked the ones that he believed could do something with the limited resources they had. (laughs) That's going to speak to some of us because Jesus chose the ones who would take what they had and the power that God would give them and do something with it. So we got Pharisees, and then we got disciples. You know, I could name a couple of people that would fall for me into the category of Pharisees, but that might border on judgment, so I'm not going to call any names tonight. You can articulate that in your own mind. The holier than thou, the quick to give a lecture, the quick to say thumbs down, the quick to lose their temper with you, the quick to lose their patience with you. You know, the Pharisaic type, we know them all, and sometimes we've met them in the mirror. Thank you for that truth. And then we think about disciples, and so many times we feel like we have to earn that place. There wasn't a disciple that was chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ who did some magnificent thing in Jesus. Oh, i got to have that one on my team. Oh! And yet they did mighty and powerful things that are recorded in the Word. And we got those disciples. And I, I can name a couple of them. I, I think of Mother Teresa. I think of Billy Graham. I, I can think of a lot of authors. I think of... Henry Nowen, I I think of great spiritual leaders. I think of my own bishop, Bishop Hope Morgan Ward, disciples of Jesus Christ, who would be the first to tell you, all four of them, that God did not choose them because of what they had, their gifts, their talents, their resources. God chose them because in their weakness, They would allow God to make them strong disciples, Pharisees and disciples. And then we got another category tonight, and those are the Joannas of the world. Can you say Joanna? Let me hear you say it. They might be saying, what in the world are you talking about, Miss Laura? Well, just be patient with me a minute, and I'm going to tell you about the Joannas of the world. If you have your Bibles, you're probably not United Methodist, but if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And I gave you a little prelude this morning, and I thought, well, maybe you'll study up. Maybe you won't, but maybe you will. And I'm going to take you to the 36th verse of chapter 7. I'm going to read fairly quickly because here's what I know that I know that I know. Many of you have read this story, and I'm going to keep it in the context of the story as a whole, and then I'm going to introduce you to the Pharisee. It begins with the Pharisee. We said the Pharisee, the disciple, and the Joannas of the world, so I invite you to listen. Not only do I invite you to listen, I invite you to pay attention. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so... Jesus went to his home, and he sat down to eat, and when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and 
Then she kept kissing his feet mm, and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, you understand he said it to himself, right? How many times have you said things to yourself? And I do love this so much. Verse 40. <laughs> then Jesus answered his thoughts. Oh, yeah. Come on, Jesus. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And I do love Simon's response. Go ahead, teacher. <laughs> Simon replied, don't you know Simon thought something was coming about that stinking scallywag woman that was kneeling at Jesus' feet? And Simon is ready for Jesus to say, get that rascal out of my house because I'm having dinner with Simon. Jesus answered his thoughts and Simon said, come on, teacher, tell me something. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Which do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon kind of straightened himself out before he realized he was falling into something. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, but said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected, Simon, the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins... Listen to Jesus speak honestly. And they are many. <laughs> they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table, Simon's other important guests, you understand, the men at the table said among themselves, who's this man? Who's this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has 
saved you. From the beginning and before the beginning of time. It was Jesus' plan to save us. 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 Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We love that story, but most of us don't get too many sermons on verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8. So stay with me here for a moment. Soon afterward, after what? After this fiasco of a dinner was ruined and somebody from the streets came in and bare Simon half to death and then he fell into a time with Jesus and Jesus tried to straighten him out. And after this fiasco, soon after this fiasco of a dinner, Jesus began a tour. <laughs> That's what the New Living Translation says. Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. I don't think Simon showed up to many of those sermons, do you? But anyhow, I don't know for sure. He took his 12 disciples with him. Yep, the ones that were not chosen because how great they were, but because God saw greatness in them. So he took his Disciples with him as he's touring around all the villages. Along with some women. Man, you're kidding me, right? Along with some women who had been cured. Cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mm. That is some crowd hanging out with Jesus, isn't it? Evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene. Now, you know about her. Yeah, most of you know about Mary Magdalene. She was there. Mary Magdalene was hanging out. From whom he had cast out seven, count them, one, two, Three, four, five, six, seven demons. People knew who she was. Joanna, <laughs> the Joannas of the world, kind of between the Pharisee and the disciples and the ones we know about, like Mary Magdalene, the Joannas. She was the wife of Chusa. Herod's business manager. You remember who Herod was? This woman who's hanging out with Jesus, her husband manages the finances of Herod. Oh my, what a brave girl she is to tag along with Jesus. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Pharisees, disciples, and the Joannas of the world who find themselves in a predicament 
Jesus has cured them. They have seen it. She saw it in the woman that was at her side, Mary Magdalene. She saw it in herself. But some of her family were serving a crowd of people who wanted nothing more than to kill a baby at birth and to kill him on a cross after he got a little older. You know, we are put in places where we have to make decisions. But this woman shows up again. Go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Joanna shows up again. Now, if I were to begin at verse 1 of chapter 24, you would know what I was talking about because it's called a resurrection. And some women showed up early in the morning and they were greeted by two men in dazzling white. And this is what it says, beginning with verse 5. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. And then, can you say then? Then, because my purpose tonight is to help you remember what God did, he can do for you. Then they remembered what he had said. So they rushed back. They rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples, we got Pharisees and we got disciples and we got the Joannas of the world. And they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Joanna. Mary, the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe. The story sounded like nonsense to the men. <laughs> so they, at that moment, did not believe. Some of the stories are we on now? I didn't. It's green. I'm a battery kill. I got some energy in me that if you take me to Sedona, Arizona, then Christy will fly. Oh, you got to make me wear that one. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let me see if I can get this thing on my ear. I'm wound up tonight, so I might pull it off. Lord Jesus, somebody sing a song. 
A lot of times when I wear these, they have to tape them to my face because I move around so much. Somebody say amen. Y'all knew I wasn't going to stay in there. What they said sounded like nonsense. Joanna, she knew Mary Magdalene. Can you imagine what it would be like to have seven demons in you? And I have not done a complete and thorough exegesis or theological study of what those demons were. You know why I haven't done it? Because we don't really know. We don't know what those seven demons were. But what we do know is Jesus got them out. Jesus got them out. Whatever they were, whatever troubled and ailed and brought this woman down, were taken from her and she decided that Jesus was real. And evidently she knew Joanna and Joanna had some issues of her own. And so Joanna comes to Jesus. And we don't know what her demons or her ailments were either. But Jesus took care of those as well because she came to Jesus some historical traditions believe that her husband probably lost his job with Herod because she was telling anybody that would listen, just like she did at the tomb, that this man has saved my life. This man from the beginning of time, before time even knew or had a name of day one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven, even before then, he had a plan, and the plan was to save me. The plan was to call me, so whatever it is that I live for now, it is going to be to use my resources for Jesus. And tradition says that her husband may have lost his job in Herod's court because she would not hold back from what she knew to be the truth. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, now, Billy, I need your help for a minute. Would you come up here with Miss Laura for just a minute? Yep. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, y'all ought not laugh too hard because I'm not done yet. <laughs> now, that's a nice T-shirt you have on, but I've got $10 here. You might could buy another one. Only kidding, but this is a nice T-shirt. But what is this, seriously? Money. Money? How much money is it? $10. If I, it's $10, isn't it? Now, if I said, Billy, I, I want to give you this $10, okay? Would you take it? <laughs> I love church people so much. It's real, isn't it? It's a $10 bill. How much is it worth? $10. Are you sure? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Don't doubt yourself. How much is a $10 bill worth? $10. Okay, well, you know, it's, it is a $10. It's not fake money. I can get counterfeit money in the hood, but it ain't no counterfeit money. <laughs> Don't tell anybody I told you that's a true story. 
But you know what? It, it just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. I'm going to just stomp that. Mm. These boots have been all over Africa, so I'm telling you, they've been on top of some stuff. Mm. Let's see if I can get it. That looks terrible, doesn't it? Mm. I tore it a little bit. That's against the law. Um, I don't know. There ain't much to it now. What's it worth now? Ten dollars. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's torn. It's wrinkled. I stomped on it. Ain't much to it now. You sure you want it? Yeah. <laughs> you mean it has the same value after I've torn it and right. stomped on it? Right. Really? As Joanna followed Jesus, people would try to bring up what Jesus had taken away. But she had the same value, didn't she? Here is yours. Love on him. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, grace will be shown to us through Jesus. So he took Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons, and said, you are worthy, and I will enjoy your company. And he took Joanna, who was healed of demons and sicknesses, and said, come on, you're going to be worthy to go with me because from the beginning of time it was God's plan to save those that the world would discard because of their pain and their heartache and this is the way I say it because they're battered and scattered and barred and scarred and maimed and framed and shamed and then we have the Pharisee who really thought he was doing a good job. Remember, Jesus didn't pick on the Pharisees because they were the worst. He picked on them because they should offer the best. And so he was glad to accept that invitation to go to Simon's house. But Simon just wanted to show himself off. And so he invited Jesus to the house. And then somebody came in and busted up the party. And Jesus read Simon's thoughts and said, Simon, I got something to say to you. Yeah. I got something to say to you and God's got something to say to some of us about how we invite Jesus to be with me but not us. And so soon after that fiasco of a party, Jesus decided to tour the rest of the place. And he took his disciples with him. Because the way the disciples would learn, the way the disciples would grow, the way the disciples would expand their love would be to see what Jesus did. And sometimes they still didn't get it right. And so on Easter morning, they're all hiding and fretful and crying and sad and ashamed and bewildered. And a bunch of foolish women that had had demons and evil spirits that some people would still draw up 
to them. said, no, no, no. We've been there. He's not there. We've been told to tell you. We've come in a hurry. And it says, nobody would believe him. Nobody. We got Pharisees. And we got disciples. And then most of us are the Joannas of the world who are just trying to make it through the next day. Because we know that we know that we know that Jesus has met us in our darkness. Jesus has met us in our need. Jesus has met us when we have fallen. Jesus has met us in our demons. And he's called them out because from before the beginning of time, it was his plan to save us and call us. Not because we deserved it, but because we didn't. And then he has spent the rest of his breath and life and spirit to show us what grace looks like. Every day he shows me what grace looks like because if I'm not careful, I'm going to be in this Pharisaic place. Not because I'm a scoundrel, but because sometimes I don't remember what Jesus looks like. And sometimes I'm over here with the Mother Teresas and the Billy Grahams of life and I'm feeling all that God is doing and I forget to look for more. I forget to look deeper. I forget to look lower for the Joannas of the world who stay close on Jesus' heels from the cross to the grave and beyond. I have a good friend. Can you believe it? But anyway, I do. I have a good friend. And I invited her to go on a three-day women's retreat. And she was so excited. She got ready. She hadn't been anywhere before. And I mean, we had to get her a little suitcase. She didn't have a suitcase. She's going to put it in a Dollar Tree bag. You know how it works. But she got ready. But the night before somebody was to pick her up, she called me. She said, I can't go. I said, what do you mean you can't go? You've been looking for it. You didn't pack. I bought you new socks. Yes, you're going. She said, no, Miss Laura, really can't go. I said, what do you mean you can't go? She said, I cannot go for three days without a drink. I'll be in the hospital. So I'm sorry, Miss Laura. I don't want to embarrass you. I can't go. I said, do you trust me? She said, oh, I trust you, Miss Laura. I said, do you really trust me? I trust you. I said, you be ready for somebody to pick you up, and you get that new suitcase and those new socks, and you go on that three-day retreat. And she said, yes, ma'am. And so sure enough, she's good to her word, and she got picked up. And in the meantime, I went back home, and my husband's an economic developer, and at the time it was of Hertford County, and they have a lot of socials which means they do a lot of drinking. And so they have all these socials, and all the alcohol that they don't drink has to come back to my house because it's, it's open. We hide it in a closet and put a lot of dirty clothes over it so my son can't find it. 
And so I asked my husband, I said, we got any clear liquor in that closet? He said, do what? I said, I'm serious as I can be. Is there clear liquor in the closet? He said, I don't know. We threw all the dirty clothes off, and sure enough, there was some gin, and it's clear. So I took me some of them smart water bottles, you know, them great big ones. I dumped all the water out, and I filled two of them up full of gin. I mean, I put it as close as it could get. It filled out when I closed the top off. Put them in my briefcase, a nice briefcase. And I carried it to that three-day women's retreat. I said, baby, if you get in trouble, just raise your hand. Me and you'll go to the potty, okay? Yes, ma'am. So after we'd been there about two hours, I looked at her. I said, okay, okay, come on. Got my briefcase. We went in the bathroom. It'd been a long time since I'd seen anybody drink alcohol like it was water. She got a couple of... Got a couple of swallows and the hands stuck shaking. Okay, you ready? Yes, ma'am. She goes back, and before we go to bed, she lays her hand again. I said, okay. Got my briefcase. We went back in the bathroom. She had a couple more swallows, and her hands stopped trembling, and she went to bed. Next morning after breakfast, she raised her hand. But then at lunchtime, then at lunchtime, I watched her, and she's playing with some Play-Doh. <laughs> and she was coloring. And people had their arms around her, and she was singing. She was laughing. I'd look over at the table, and they'd be praying. And it was 2 o'clock, and she hadn't raised her hand. So I thought, well, she's waiting for dinner time. She's, she's beginning to think she's obvious when she goes out. And dinner time, she forgot I was there. It hurt my feelings a little bit. She went on to dinner, and they were singing and praising and carrying on with the Lord. And I thought, well, she's waiting for dinner time. No, not at dinner time. She's waiting for bedtime. No, not at bedtime. So I, I just went on to bed. The next morning, I said, you all right? She said, Miss Laura, I don't, I don't know about all this stuff that's going on, but I ain't going to need that stuff no more. <laughs> and she hasn't had it since. And I couldn't stood over here as the Pharisee and said, daggone right you ain't going. It's terrible. I could have come up here as the disciple and said, oh, baby, let me just pray for you right now, and we're going to fix it all right now. I wouldn't have fixed a daggone thing. Or I could have been like Joanna and said, I know what God can do. He can take your demons and he can take your evil spirits. He can take your brokenness. But we got to trust him to do it. And if there's a creative way to do it, I'm going to find it, God. Will you tell me what it is? And God did. He said, trust me. Trust me to do this the way I've done other things. In ways that a Pharisee might condemn and a disciple might think isn't real. Y'all know I, I don't carry money around. I, I don't. It's, it's too tempting for me to spend it. I was asking Miss, um, um, what's your name, Norma? <laughs> I'm wound up. I can't have it. I forgot my own name. It's Laura Early, but don't tell anybody. So, 
I said, Norma, I, you know, I forgot something on the way up here because I've been traveling a lot. And I said, I need you to take me to Walmart. And then I went through my pocketbook that really needs to be cleaned out. Please don't look in. It's embarrassing. And I didn't bring my checkbook. I, I, didn't, I think I got a couple of dollars in there, but that wasn't going to get what I wanted. So I said, I'm not going to worry about it. And then, bless her heart, she had what I needed. is a robe, in case you're wondering. But anyway. But when I was going through my pocketbook, there was a card in there. And I looked at the card, and it was, you're not going to believe, it was a Walmart gift card. <laughs> it's, it's true, isn't it, Bobby? Because I didn't know how to scratch that thing off and see how much money was on there. I didn't know how to work a Walmart gift card. I give them away, but I don't ever have them. But anyway, I went and preached somewhere, and they put a couple of gift cards in there. And I'm going to tell y'all what is the absolute truth. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. This Walmart gift card has the nativity on it. I mean, it's not just a try-to-figure-it-out nativity. It is a bold and beautiful representation of the birth of grace into the world. Y'all know what I do on New Year's Eve. I Googled one time, where do lonely people go on New Year's Eve? I mean, on Christmas Eve. You know where to go what Google said, they go to Walmart. You know why they go to Walmart? Because it's warm, it's well lit, a lot of pretty Christmas decorations in there. People are just kind of friendly on Christmas Eve. And so lonely people go. Now I went in there and want not a person in there pushing no cart. They weren't in there because they had any money to spend. They went in there because they didn't have anywhere else to go. Church, Pharisee, careful. Disciple, careful. Joanna's in the journey knowing that God's going to bless them. And so I took about $2,000 worth of Walmart gift cards and a bunch of scallywag, battered, scattered, barred, scarred, mainframed, and shamed people who knew what it was to not have anything on Christmas Eve. And I said, here's the deal. You can't go by yourself. You go two by two or three by three, and here's the deal. You can't just say, here's a gift card. Thank you. Bye. No. No, you say, look, you're in the food section, and I bet you might could use this. Or you're in the toy section, and I bet you been wanting to get something for them babies, hadn't you? Now, you could have heard the tears and the hallelujahs and the thank you, Jesus, in Walmart more than I've ever heard in a sanctuary on Christmas Eve. And so, as I realized that all the gift cards had probably been given, and there were hugs and tears and praise the Lord, I, I got in line, and I got in line behind a one-armed man, and he had a gift card. <laughs> And he went up to the cashier and he says, I don't know if this is real. Some skinny black man gave it to me. And I said, I said, well, I know that skinny black man. He's a good friend of mine. He's the associate pastor at All God's Children United Methodist Church. And he said, huh. He said, well, I just gave my last $12.50 to a man that didn't have any food at Burger King. And I said, is that right? I said, God has just doubled your blessing because that's a $25 gift card. He said, huh. 
And then he went out. Well, we had all gathered because we were going to sing. We all sang, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let heaven and nature sing. And he went out into the part of Walmart between the inside and the outside where the Joannas of the world live because it's hard for people to believe that God has really come for everybody. And he found a, an older gentleman kind of crumpled at the door of Walmart. Yeah, he was highly intoxicated. And so the one-armed man who wasn't sure about this gift card leaned over to his new best friend. He said, come on, buddy, get up. Come up. And he took his good arm and took his intoxicated friend, and they went to buy him supper on Christmas Eve. Can we really believe that what Jesus did for the whole world is for us? Hmm? Can we really believe that what Jesus did for the broken specimens of humanity can be changed by God through Jesus with us? I just happen to believe that it is not nonsense. I happen to believe that it's real. And just like that $10 bill might be tattered and torn and stomped on, it still holds the same value. That, my friends, is God's plan. Let the church say amen. Amen.